So today we are continuing through the book of Hosea in the Old Testament. This is the, the first of what are called the minor prophets. And if you turn there in your, your Bible, if, and if you don't have your Bible with you, you can turn to Hosea. Uh, we're going to be looking at the beginning, in, very end of chapter 5 and beginning of chapter 6 today. And if you've tracked with us, you'll, you'll remember that the first three chapters of Hosea is more of flowing out of his story in the adultery of his wife and his receiving her back, forgiving her that was a model of God's forgiveness of us as the adulterous brides of Christ who turn away from him to idolatry. And then we've had a couple weeks of these passages of extended judgment against the people of Israel uh, from the mouth of the prophet. And today, though, we're going to see this, this glimmer of hope that comes out again as we move through the prophecy. And, and you'll see it in your order of worship, it, all of chapter 6 is printed, but we're actually going to be looking at, at the final verse of chapter 5, and then the first three verses of chapter 6, and then we'll, we'll pick up with verse 4 of chapter 6 next time. All right, so again, this is the book of Hosea, and I'll begin reading in chapter 5, verse 15. This is the Lord speaking. He says, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face, and in their distress, earnestly seek me. Then the voice of the prophet comes here in chapter 6. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn us, that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up, that we may live before him. Let us know. Let us Press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rain that water the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, we want to return to you today. We want to press on to the knowledge of the Lord God, we, we need you. We need you to understand this. We need you to apply it. We always do. We are completely dependent. Our minds are, in one sense, powerful because you've given minds, and the human mind is incredible, Lord, but we are also so weak, so feeble. We have our own biases. We have our own uh, mixed intentions and mixed perspectives. And Lord, we want to read this truly to what you intend. We want to know your mind, your heart, not our own thoughts. We don't want to just see a mirror of ourselves here. We want to see truly who you are to deepen our knowledge of you. And so we pray that you would guide us by your spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, one of the purposes of Christian community, one of the purposes of, of gathering with others as we do here every week, is for encouragement. And there's a, a passage in the New Testament 
In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, it was actually the first passage that I ever preached a sermon on, and it says that, let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so that's what he's saying. Don't neglect to gather together. Come together, and part of the purpose is mutual encouragement. And you say, well, how can you encourage others as you gather? And there are lots of ways. I mean, it could be listening to someone, speaking to someone. Just the, the ordinary fellowship that goes on among believers is a source of encouragement and strengthening. But the foundation of mutual encouragement ultimately is the word of God. That it's the, the scriptures are the source of the encouragement. This is where we encourage one another, where we strengthen one another. And that's why the word of God is foundational to our, our time together as the church. Uh, to gatherings, Bible studies, connect group, other things we do at Hope. We come together around the Word because this is the source of encouragement. And of course, as you are encouraging others from the Word, you can go almost anywhere in the Bible that somehow you can find your way to encouragement. But I think that, at least for me, if I was engaged in a conversation with somebody and I was going to try to encourage them from the Word of God, three months ago, I wouldn't have thought about Hosea chapter 6, verse 1 to 3. I would have probably turned other places. But this passage that you just heard me read is full of deep encouragement for the people of God. That this is a, a passage that, that we can hold on to, to preach to ourselves, that we can hold on to preach to, to others for encouragement, encourage ourselves, encourage others through these words. And you'll notice that there are really two words of encouragement in these verses. And it's the prophet saying, let us. He's, and the first is, let us return to the Lord. And the second is, let us press on to know the Lord. Those are the, the two calls, the two words of encouragement here in our text, return to the Lord and let us press on to know the Lord. And so we're going to look at those two words individually. And so here's the, the first word of encouragement. Verse 1, come, let us return to the Lord. And you can notice a few aspects of, of this verse, that this encouragement is corporate. It's it's the people of God together. It doesn't say, let me return to the Lord. It doesn't say, you return to the Lord. But it says, let us, come, let us together return to the Lord. That, that this prophet, is, is he's preaching to the people, is including himself among those who has to return. That, that he knows at root level that he also has wandered away from God, that he is also a sinner in need of grace. So he can genuinely say, let us return. But then you also notice that this encouragement is a call to go back to a place that you've been before. And that may seem totally obvious. I almost gave the dictionary definition of the word return. 
but I figured that you all might feel insulted. <laughs> uh, but if you think about it, to say return to the Lord, that it's implying of going back to a familiar place to some degree. If you said he's returning home from war, you assume that he's been home before. If you say I'm returning to this restaurant, people assume that you have been to the restaurant before. And if you say return to the Lord, then it's saying that there is some connection, some kind of a relationship to God so that you can actually go back to him. And so for Israel, we know that they were the covenant people, the chosen people. And so when he says, return to the Lord, let us return, that he's saying that, that together as the corporate people of Israel, as, as those who were called out of Egypt, receive the covenant at Mount Sinai, that we have this special relationship to God, but we have turned away from God into idolatry, into the worship of things that aren't God. And if you look back at the very end of chapter 5, the verse preceding this, it says, this is the Lord speaking, I will return again to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face and in their distress earnestly seeking. And so you can think of the, the, the movement here between these two verses that God's saying, I'm going to return away from them because of their sin. I'm going to go back to my place. And then the verse following, the people are saying, we will now return to the Lord, that we will fill that distance. And that's true of sin, that when we sin against God, it causes a rift. It causes a, a separation between us and God. Because it's not just Israel that had this connection to God, that when God created the world and he created the first humans, Adam and Eve, he entered into what is called the covenant of life with them, or sometimes it's called the covenant of works. And he promised them life upon the condition of perfect, perpetual obedience, that they had this fellowship with God in the garden. But they turned away from God, they sinned against him, and it ruptured their relationship to God. And it not only ruptured their relationship to God, but it ruptured the relationship of all of their descendants, all who were born into that covenant. And so even for somebody who may not have grown up in a Christian family or may not have ever heard the gospel, that humanity, all of humanity are born as covenant creatures, that we all entered the world born into the covenant with Adam, and that we have all violated that covenant, uh, both by virtue of being identified with him as our head, with Adam, but also in our own action. And we'll look at this more next time, but in just, just down from our passage in chapter 6, verse 7, the prophet says, or actually this is the Lord speaking, he says, but like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. So that's what it's spoken of Israel. They, like Adam, they violated the covenant. And that could be spoken to each and every one of us here today to everyone in the world, that we all fail to love God, fail to perfectly love our neighbor, that like Adam, we have transgressed the covenant, that we are separated from God. And so for every single person to come to the Lord is a return, because he is the one who made us, he's the one who fashioned us, we are made in his image. And so even for those who have never trusted in Jesus before, to come to God in Christ is still a return 
It's a return to the source of life. It's a return to the source of joy. It's the return to the source of happiness. That is, is what it is to repent, to come back to the Lord, to return. But also, as you look here at this encouragement, we said that it was corporate. We said that it's going back to the place that we've been before. But we could also say that this encouragement is rooted in who God is. It's rooted in the character and the nature of God. Look at verse 1 again. He says, come, let us return to the Lord. And then you say, why? Why should we listen to this? Why should we do this? For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. And so it's saying, return to the Lord. And why turn to return to the Lord? Because he is the God of resurrection life. He is the God who heals. He is the great physician. He is the one who, through his holy and righteous law, lays out the standard which strikes us at the heart, but then he binds us up. And he's the God who raises from the dead, who, who brings us back on the third day. Now, as you look at that, that language of being raised on the third day, I think we, we can't help but think of Jesus being raised up from death on the third day. In the, the New Testament, one of the greatest passages on the resurrection from the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 4, he says that Jesus died, and then he says that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. And you say, where in the scriptures does it say that Jesus would rise on the third day? Where in the Old Testament was it predicted of resurrection life on the third day? Well, you could turn to the book of Jonah, another prophet at the same time. Uh, you don't have to actually turn there now, but, but Jesus actually turns to the book of Jonah. In, in the book of Matthew, chapter 12, Jesus says, Just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And so you see what Jesus is saying, that it's not that there is a, a prophecy in the book of Jonah that says the Messiah will come and he will rise again after three days. But often is the case, they, they call it typology, that Jonah was a type of Christ, that, that he, the pattern of God's dealing with him laid out a, a, a repeating pattern that reaches its fullness in Christ. And so the expectation is this resurrection on the third day. But if you were to, to, to say, well, are there any other passages that predict the resurrection on the third day according to the scriptures? One of the main places that you would go is our text, Hosea 6.2. And even if you look in the cross-references of your Bible in 1 Corinthians, where it says that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, right there in the ESV, they list Hosea 6.2 that he will, we will live before him. Now, if, if you're more of the skeptical type, uh, and I think that this is a fair question, we'd be saying, well, Hosea is speaking of Israel. He's saying that he will raise us up on the third day to newness of life. And so this isn't, again, on the surface, this, it doesn't seem like it's predicting the resurrection of Jesus. But what did Jesus do? That Jesus came 
in his baptism, he entered into the role of Israel, that Jesus came as true Israel to obey where Israel couldn't obey, to bear the punishment that Israel couldn't bear. And that, that Jesus then steps into that place, follows that pattern, is, is struck down, he's torn, he's healed, he's raised up on the third day. And so in that light, for those who know the scripture, that, that you could, they could have looked at the, the death of Jesus and said, what is the pattern of God? Who is the God? God is a God of resurrection life, that death could not hold him, that, that he was the perfect sacrifice laid down. And we know that the pattern of the God of the Bible is to give life on the third day. And that is the, the expectation here that reaches fulfillment in this climax in Jesus. And that's why we return to the Lord, because he is the, the God who raised up our Lord Jesus Christ on the third day, and he's the one who will raise up you and me with him as well. As you think about these, these words of encouragement, you, you might say, how can I apply this encouragement? And the first place that you can apply is to yourself, and that usually it's better to start application with yourself before you start to apply it to others. And that you can preach this word of encouragement, let us return to the Lord. You can preach this at the beginning of the Christian walk. That if you have never repented and trusted in Jesus, if you've never returned to the Lord in faith, that, that you can say these words to yourself. You can say, I feel like I've been torn down. I've been struck by the Lord, the, the language of our text, but that God is the God who heals, and so self, return to the Lord, return to the source, return to the one who made me. And it reminds me, actually, of some of the imagery in Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, probably most of you have heard me mention Pilgrim's Progress, uh, but there, there's a, a great image in that allegory by John Bunyan where uh, Christian, uh, the protagonist, is talking to his friend, friend Faithful, and Faithful describes that early on in his journey, he was met by this man who just, as soon as he met him, began to attack him and beat him up. And it says that, well, who was it? And it was Moses. And that's why people sometimes don't like Pilgrim's Progress, because unless you know the scripture, you're like, what in the world is this talking about? And, and but it's, it's really this rich image, because Moses is the lawgiver who delivered the Ten Commandments that when God brings us his righteous, holy standard, that is what we see, that he tears us, he strikes us down, that, that we come under conviction of our sin. But then that, that drives us to Christ, and we, and we see the gospel coming uh, that, that shows the way of life to raise up to newness of life. And then we can say, God is merciful, he's holy, he's just, but he's merciful so I can return to him knowing that he is the God who forgives so again, you can preach that at the beginning of the Christian walk. But then you can continue to preach this to yourself throughout the Christian life. Because it's not just that we return to the Lord once, but the entire Christian life is this process of returning every day. That, that every day of the Christian life, we wake up and say, okay, again, today again, I'm going to return to the Lord I, I've, I've struggled with this sin today. I'm going to return to the Lord. I have grown cold in my love to God. Here, I'm going to return to the Lord. I've been in this pattern. I'm going to return to the Lord. I've neglected the means of grace again. I'm going to return to the Lord. Return over and over again. Self-return. 
But then after you return over and over again, encouraging yourself, you can actually start to encourage others as well. And I love how John Calvin, in, in his commentary on Hosea, says that it is further needful to observe that the faithful do here, in the first place, encourage themselves, that they may afterwards lead others with them, that as we have been encouraged, so we can encourage others. And so you can go to your neighbor who doesn't yet know Christ, and you can say, come together, let's Let's return to the Lord together because I'm not in a position of being better. I'm not the one who has it together that every day I'm returning. And and so come with me back to our Lord and our maker who loves us and and gave himself for us. You can go to your Christian friend or or, or your Christian family member who's who's struggling. They're depressed. They're, They're weighed down by sin or shame or guilt. And you say, I understand where you are. I've been there. Let's return together to the Lord because he is faithful and he's good and he will receive us as the one who gives life. So this is our first word of encouragement. Come, let us return to the Lord. But look now at the the second word of encouragement. This This is in verse 3. He says, let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. As you look at the the words here, just the the poetic beauty of it, I think, should stand out to us. This is not some sort of dry, didactic instruction manual. That, that, that you, you almost sense the prophet is just, he's, he's musing, he's reflecting, he's saying, let us know. There's this deep experiential knowing, let us know. And he, then, then it's, well, it's not we know, but yet we don't know fully. We know in part. Let us press on to know the Lord. And look at, and notice that phrase, press on, that that striving towards the knowledge of God isn't just something you do at the beginning of the Christian walk, that, but just as we're constantly returning to the Lord over and over and over again into his mercy and to his goodness, that, that over and over and over again we're, we're saying, I'm pressing on to know the Lord more, to, to understand more of the depths of the glory of the, the majesty of Christ. And just as we said that the last encouragement was rooted in who God is, This is also rooted in who God is. Look at verse uh, 3 again. He says, let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. And so he's saying, look at weather patterns, that, that there's predictability that you can know when the rainy season is. I, I was even looking up, at, and even in modern times, you can look at traveling to Israel. When should you travel to Israel? They said that you're likely to have rain if you go in April, that, that there's this rainy season at that time. In so many other places, you, can, you know when the monsoon season hits. You know when there's going to be rain. It's not absolute. There's times when nature doesn't behave the way that we expect. 
But really, the scientific method is possible because there is a reliability to nature, that, that we can learn a little bit about nature, and then we trust that what we know is consistent and it's not going to change tomorrow, and then we can continue to build on that knowledge over time. And if we didn't believe at a deep level that there is consistency and unity and predictability in nature, then really science, the idea of observing phenomenon that's repeated um, and trying to make observations from that, it, it wouldn't be possible. But he's saying, no, we can observe nature and see patterns. And if that's true, how much more with God, who's the author of nature itself, the, the source of the laws of, of nature, that God is far more predictable, far more reliable. And so when you enter into the, to the knowledge of God, it's not like so many other fields of knowledge, especially in the humanities, where what's true today isn't true tomorrow. <laughs> that you learn one thing and then you find out it's, it's obsolete. But when we enter into the knowledge of God, every bit that we're adding something on to what we know before, deepening our knowledge and understanding of God, but we never get to the end of it, but we can press on because God is knowable, but he, he can't be known exhaustively because he's infinite. But we press on to know more and more and more every day. And so you can encourage yourself with these words at the beginning of the Christian life. You can say, press on self to know the Lord. And maybe that is where some of you are, that, that you're relatively new to the Christian faith, that you, you know enough to, to call yourself a Christian. You say, I, I know that God is just and holy. I know that the wages of sin is death. I know that Jesus saved me. I know that, that God is merciful. But you say, well, I've never really read the Bible. I've never really delved into theology. I know so little. And, and I think sometimes for new believers, that can be intimidating in churches, especially when they, when they see a lot of people who know so much about the Bible. And they can say, oh, I don't know nearly as much as these other people. And there can be embarrassment or, or people don't want to talk because they're worried that they're going to say something wrong. But that's where the encouragement here is to press on. Press on to know the Lord. Press on because it's an exciting thing. And sometimes I wish myself that, not that I, I, I want to go back to knowing less than God, but it's like when you read a book for the first time and you get to discover that truth. Like our, our daughter, who's three, she's just always discovering things for the first time because she's never seen it before. She's, what is that? Explain it to me. And it's so exciting. And at the beginning of the, of the walk with the Lord is the same way that it's, it's exciting because everything is new. And these discoveries, that these truths of God, these truths of Scripture, that then you, you deepen throughout your life. And to be able to experience those for the first time is, is really a, a glorious experience. It should be appreciated. But of course, it's, it's not just the beginning, that we preach this to ourselves throughout our entire life, to press on to know the Lord, that no matter how much we know, we've just scratched the surface of an infinite and a holy God, and that, that sometimes we get tired of reading the Bible. I've read that book before, or we get tired of hearing the same truth over and over again. I've heard the gospel. I, I'm going to move on to other things. We get tired of, of theology because we've, we've read it all before. And we should press on because, because it's about knowing God, knowing him in his fullness and his love and his, his mercy. And we, then we encourage others as well. Because we're, we begin to, to press on and then we say to others, 
press on. And that could be encouragement to your, to your non-Christian friends as well. I was listening to a, a podcast this week that made this really interesting point about the way that people think about God in society. And apparently, according to studies, that most people, even who don't consider themselves believers in America, but who believe in, in God, if you say, is, what is God like? The people will say, well, God is loving. Or if you said, is God loving? People would say, yes, God is loving. And they were discussing how, in, the, in conversations with people who believe that God is loving, that you can probe of where did that information about God come from? Because it, it, in some sense, it feels intuitive. But if you look at nature, nature reflects the glory of God. But you don't necessarily, from looking at nature, know that God is personal and loving. You might know that he's powerful. You might know that he's beautiful. You might know that he's glorious. You might have a hint of his love, but, it, but not the full orb doctrine of his love. You look at other world religions. Not every world religion teaches that God is love. You look at the history of humanity. Do you see that God is love there? Well, you see genocide. You see war. You see plagues and pandemics and death and violence. Does that prove that God is love? And so how do you get the idea that God is love? And that, that at root, it comes from revelation. It comes from the word of God, from the Bible. And it's this vestige, this holdover. And so even for somebody who doesn't yet know Christ, you can actually affirm that knowledge, say, say yes, you know something true of the God of the Bible. And he is loving and now let's together know the Lord. Let us press on to know him more because there's so much more to know how he loves us. And he loves us by sending his son Jesus to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death. That is how he loves us. And this is how we take hold of his love. And this is how we learn more and more different aspects of his love for us that we press on. And we, and we encourage others to, to say, are you, are you down? Know the Lord. Press on to know him. But ultimately, as we come to this meal, we see both of these encouragements in the Lord's Supper today. Because we said that, that the first encouragement was return to the Lord. We return at the beginning, <laughs> but then we return over and over again. And, and that's what we do. We return to church every week. Every week we return to this meal. Let's return again because the Lord is is faithful to us and he loves us and we need to be reminded over and over again and we come every week know the lord press on to know the lord know the lord jesus whose body was broken and his blood was shed and and we will continue to know more of him 